It's Catnip and Coffee Time with Cat Brad. Get at least eight hours of beauty sleep. Nine if you're ugly. <laughs> and Misaki. Grab your coffee and get into the zone because Cat Brat's about to help you crush the work and life chaos through gamification, technology, mindfulness, and new discoveries. Catnip and Coffee Time starts now. Good morning, everybody. It is a beautiful day in Florida. We are on a Thursday morning and I have my coffee. Cannot go without our coffee in the morning. That is exactly why we are catnip and coffee. Misaki is not with me this morning. Unfortunately, she is having her own coffee at her own little eating station there. And that's okay, right? Because cats have to have coffee too. Um, we have a lot going on this morning. So if you are listening on your way to work, or if you are actually joining visually, good morning. It is almost the weekend, and we're very excited about the weekend because it's supposed to be a nice weekend. We had a lot of rain over the past week, and we are drenched up to our necks in a lot of um, water. So first, I do want to briefly remind you that Saturday, October 15th, at 12 noon to 1 p.m., I will be holding a video game story writing workshop hosted by my lovely friends at Just Love Coffee Cafe in Brandon, Florida. So thank you to Just Love Coffee for allowing us to take over your cafe that day. It's going to be great. So you don't, you don't want to miss this. Coffee and games and creativity and just lots of positive vibes and mental health going on there. So get your tickets now. You can get those at Cat Brat Studios. Dot com. Okay, don't miss that. So let's move straight into this episode, right? Because we have a lot to talk about and we have some really amazing information to cover. And we're going to be talking with my friend, my colleague, and one of the most passionate women that I know in this industry today. Um, I'm going to bring on Jody Drake. Jody, thank you so much for joining us. Uh -huh. Yay! Hi. Ooh, I love it. I love that in the background. Ooh, thanks for having me. Good morning. Good morning. I, you know, the first time I spoke with you, the energy was just tremendous. Um, you are such a passionate woman and I can really vibe off of a lot of people and whether it's online or whether it's offline as well. Um, I just really can tell when somebody's really passionate about what they do and you are definitely one of those people. So I have a lot of questions for you. I'm sure that, um, you have a lot of information to share. So I'm going to start with, um, allowing you to tell about yourself in your profession or your company and uh you know how you actually got into this field perfect well thank you i appreciate it and i will have to say the same about yourself um when we first met you were extremely passionate as well so i thank you so much for the kind words but i'm gonna say the same thing about you and thank you. just having the drive to really get all of this messaging out there you know anything we can get our hands on with mental health right so right I think there's just so many aspects to it and I'm really appreciative that I'm here today. So thank you. You're yes. welcome. So my story, I, I feel 
like this whole mental health journey for me started in 2004. I was um, a pharmaceutical sales professional. That's when I started in the industry. I had done um, advertising uh, radio sales prior to that. And then I transitioned into the medical field. I was really excited about that and just really interested in, in learning. And um, so I, was in, I, I got into that. And one of the medications that I marketed was Lexapro. And I found out a lot about psychiatry. Um, I also marketed a um, neurology medication as well. So um, marketed to neurologists, psychiatrists, just a lot of different specialties. But the one that really stuck with me the most was the psychiatric space. And I started to really analyze myself because I was looking at all these symptoms that we were talking about to the physicians to say, okay, let's try to get, let's see if we can get this medication on board, maybe get that patient back to feeling like themselves again, get them back to feeling better. And just all these different symptoms and what these patients were experiencing and all the things I learned about neurotransmitters and, and such in the brain, which, right. um, you know, you kind of, you kind of have to think, okay, dig deep. What, what's really going on in the brain? I know there's a lot of, a lot of things, um, a lot of pieces, a lot of moving parts, right? That's when I speak about neurotransmitters, that's what I mean. There's a lot of that. There's like, there's the serotonin, there's a norepinephrine, and those are a lot of moving parts that affect our mood. Right. So that's something to be mindful of. Um, and so I started to really look at that and I thought, huh, okay, I'm seeing some of this in myself. Let's try to get let's try to get on top of this because I was really noticing it. And then I started actually getting treated uh, myself for generalized anxiety disorder. And I thought, right. wow, I think I've had this really for a long time. And it was interesting. I started to go through it a little bit more and figure out some more things. I had a neuropsych test done, which that confirmed basically what I had. I mean, I had taken a paper test, but when I had that neuropsych test done, that was really the pivotal moment because it said, okay, I was, um, really, a really, I guess on the large scale of generalized anxiety disorder, which basically mm -hmm. that means to think of yourself as say, you just have a lot going on and you feel like you cannot calm down. You feel like, honestly, you talk about your, your, your cat, think of a cat. I always think of a cat um, putting his claws on the ceiling. Yes. When you have generalized anxiety disorder and it's very mm -hmm. strong, you feel like, oh my gosh, I'm this cat. Stuck in the ceiling. <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know where I'm going. I don't know where I'm landing. Um, what's going to happen to me next? You feel um, basically like you're spinning out of control. Right. And those are sometimes the things that I experienced. And, um, and then that would eventually spiral and then get me so exhausted and tired that I would be more in that phase of where I didn't want to do anything because everything was so overpowering and controlling and I didn't know where to start and where my mind was going. So right. I had that as well. And then, and also in that neuropsych test, they talked about a strong um, tendency for obsessive compulsive disorder. And that mm -hmm. simply means, so having OCD or intrusive thoughts, if you will. I think a lot of people have had this and I'm just going to get real for a second. Right. This, is a, this is a usual example that people can relate to. Say you're driving down the road and you just have so much going on in your brain and you think, oh my gosh, how am I going to get this day done? How am I going to get it all done? 
well, maybe if I just drive into this tree right here, or maybe if I just drive over into the next lane and this truck hits me, yeah. then something will happen. I'll go in the hospital and I can actually rest. I know that sounds really weird. Right. It's very common. People have that all the time. And that's an intrusive thought. That is something mm -hmm. that comes into the brain. You have no control over it. It just pops up mm -hmm. and you just think, wow, okay, that was that. It's not really what I want to do, but it, but your mind is, it, you're so tired and you're, you're so anxious and, and it just pops in. Right. So, right. So I had a, um, I had a, a tendency for that as well that was found in the test. So basically I've been battling these things for a long time and there's, there's ebb and there's ebb and flow. And, um, sometimes I'm great and still sometimes I'm, I'm not as great. Right. And then what happened to me was in, um, 2011, I ended up having my first child and I was diagnosed with postpartum OCD. So that's an even bigger level. That's, right. that's absolutely horrible. So you don't only have intrusive thoughts about yourself. You have intrusive thoughts about the baby. Right. So that's what, that's what was happening. And it was one of, it was probably the most horrifying experience I think I've ever had. Right. Cause I was, I was supposed to be happy. Right. I was right. I, and all I knew was about postpartum depression. I, mm -hmm. I had heard of postpartum depression. I, I, that's really all I knew is that you're, you know, you're feeling low, you're feeling down. You don't want to take care of the baby. You're exhausted. Maybe you don't want to eat. You know, there's all these things that go with it, but postpartum OCD, I actually found it out by myself. I looked right. up, I was looking up symptoms online and I found it. And I said, that's exactly what I have. And I, you know, talk to my therapist about it and we right. tried to work through it. But that's, that's one reason I have been so passionate about this field is because mm -hmm. I want to help women before it happens. So they didn't have to go through what I had to go through because I tried. And, and again, like we're going to talk about medication a little bit and therapy and such, but because I was nursing my son I felt like, oh, I didn't really want to be on medication, but then I didn't right. have a choice because seeing my therapist and talking through with my counselor, that, that wasn't helping me. So right. I had to go on medication and do the talk therapy um, counseling. So right. I needed both. But honestly, that period of no medication, that probably lasted two weeks and it felt like a year. It, it felt like so long because every day that went by, I mean, I felt like I didn't want to go to sleep. I was afraid right. to sleep. I had the anxiety. I was climbing the walls. I just, I felt, I just wanted it to end. And so right. I, you know, I got through all that and came out, um, you know, very knowledgeable about it, understanding of the symptoms. And that's really what took me to pursue, like when in my first master's degree, I did my thesis on perinatal mood and anxiety disorders. And I did some other various projects on it because I wanted to dig into the research. I wanted mm -hmm. to learn even more about it, um, basically than what was going on within myself. I wanted to see what research was out there. I wanted to work towards helping others and getting knowledge and different tools out there for people to know about. Mm -hmm. Because I think if I would have been more educated from the get-go, I think at that first postpartum appointment, right. I think I would have felt more in control. I think I would have felt right away, oh, 
that's what this is that, you know, my doctor told me that could happen to me. Okay, let's mm -hmm. get in. Let's talk to somebody. I mean, I did get in to see my therapist quickly, but the thing is, is I think women don't, they don't, since they don't know what's going on, they're scared. Right. I was terrified. They're scared something's going to happen. There's, I know I was having these weird thoughts coming in of me dropping my son, you know, walking down the stairs, dropping my son, just like, well, I don't want to do that. Why would I want to drop him? You know, I was right. scared to death. And I think if women know more about these things, I think it would better prepare them for what could happen because exactly. perinatal mood and anxiety disorders. I mean, it's, it's one in five to seven women that battle it. And it's actually one in 10 dads that experience postpartum depression, which wow. is very interesting because you wouldn't think about the dad experiencing it because a, a lot of folks feel that, oh, it's the hormone shift. It's that hormone imbalance when the, the, um, the mother has the baby, right? There's a big shift in there. So, so one wouldn't necessarily go to the fact that, oh, dads could have it too, but dads feel the same way. They feel like, oh, wow, I'm taking care of a human being. I'm taking care of a human life now. How do I do this? How do I navigate this, this family? It's a brand new thing. Right. And right. so they, they suffer just as much. And at times it, it just depends on the situation. But, um, but yeah, that's why I felt so strongly about this because I had experienced it. It was horrifying. I thought, what things can I do? to help. And right. I also started to volunteer with um, Postpartum Support International in 2017. And that's as when I was working on my thesis as well, my graduate thesis. So it kind of was, it was working in tandem. I thought, oh, if I do some classes with them, get a little bit of training along with my thesis, this will just make me a little bit more knowledgeable, even give me more tools. And so I worked towards that. I was able to get that accomplished and done. And then through my volunteer experience with Postpartum Support International, which they're known as PSI for short, I um, decided to be a peer support coordinator, which that would actually help me engage with women who needed resources because they knew they were struggling. They knew that something needed to be done. So then I would come in. Um, I would do this in Indiana, by the way. This is before I moved to Florida. So I started to do this um, back in fall of 2019. Okay. And they would find me online on the, on the PSI website. And I was listed as one of the Indiana coordinators. And then they could actually reach out to me via email, via text, via phone. And then I would point them in the right direction on, Hey, here's some counselors maybe that take your insurance. You know, sometimes they would tell me that information as well. Right. Uh, I would point them towards counselors. I would point them towards support groups because they're uh, national online support groups with PSI. And then we also had local support groups. So I really enjoyed doing that because I felt like I could have used that myself. Mm -hmm. And I love just making them feel accepted and making them feel like, hey, I'm not out there on an island alone in this. Right. That's what happens is that women will feel like they are just alone. They will feel insignificant. They'll feel like they're a bad mom. Mm -hmm. because they're supposed to be elated. They just had this, they just gave birth to a baby and right. they're supposed to be um, over the moon and they're feeling horrible. So yeah. it's nice, you know, it was nice to give them those feelings of, no, you, 
this happens way more than what people think. And it's, it's not normal, but it happens a lot. Right. Right. So it's, if, um, if that makes sense, like you don't want to, you don't want to consistently feel like that. So it's not, it's not normalcy per se, but it just, it, it is very widespread and very frequent. Right. And so it was through that experience that I decided to do a total shift in my career and leave pharmaceutical sales and go into mental health counseling because I talked to one woman and I will never forget this. This was just, it was, I, I talked to her for an hour on the phone. Usually, usually women would email or they would text, but this certain individual called me and we talked for an hour. She said, this is the most normal I have felt in four months after talking to you. And I got off the phone and I said, I think I need to be a counselor because I just, this is where I feel joy. I feel so that just gives me such a great warm feeling inside to know that someone is now feeling so much better just by having a conversation to just validate what they're going through. They're feeling. Yeah. And I think I, and you, you really hit the nail on the head when you had mentioned that it's more common than we think. Um, even though, you know, it's not a, a, a normal feeling to feel all the time. Um, you know, some of us feel depression, like regular postpartum depression after we've had kids, um, like I did and mine are 17 months apart. So it wasn't, I didn't even have enough time to like recuperate. It was just like one after the other. And so it just kind of built up mm-hmm. and, but the feelings I think is the most important thing to note, to feel that you're alone and you're scared because you, you feel as a failure as a mother. Like I just, you know, I'm not supposed to be, everybody says I'm supposed to be feeling a certain way because they had a baby, but this is not how I feel. Um, you know, that, that I don't think this is normal and I'm scared. And one of the biggest things that I found as a mother as well, which you would be able to relate to. And many of our listeners as well is when I had my kids, the one thing, the one reason, and I was a military spouse too. So my husband was gone nine months out of, out of 12 and, um, with, with three babies, 17 months apart, my biggest fear was, are they going to take my kids? Because I'm so afraid to even tell anybody the, the things I'm feeling right now. Um, yes. because you know, you're, you're, you get so afraid. So a lot of women will hide those feelings inside because they don't want anything else. You know, they don't want their kids taken away. They don't want to seem like they're crazy. They don't want to be the next person on the news, um, you know, to, to see those mm-hmm. things. So I think if I had someone like you, Jody, during the times that I went through, I probably would have felt much better. Um, and, and that's, I think what you're doing is, is very, uh, important. And I can see where that passion would move you to wanting to help others. Because when I started speaking about anxiety and autism, it made me feel better. Um, yeah. Yes. So I think, and you're right. And I'm sorry to hear that you went through your experience as well. And I can relate because mine are, my boys are 12 months and three weeks apart. So uh, yep. I, I was getting over my postpartum OCD and then boom, my son was four and a half months old. And then, oh, here we are. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) The next one's on the way. (laughs) Okay. And I I was terrified because I thought, oh my gosh, I'm going to go through this big spiral all over again. Yeah. And so, but I had the same feeling as you did about them taking my kids because- I had my first intrusive thoughts in the hospital 
in the mm -hmm. hospital. I hadn't even left yet. Right. I was right. terrified for my husband to leave the room because I had a, I had a pretty traumatic birth too. Like I, it was, it was just long. It was, yeah. Um, C-section. I couldn't really get out of the bed. My body was so tired. So yeah. he had been changing diapers that entire time. And he went home to get cleaned up because we'd been there for a while. Uh -huh. I was scared to death for him even to leave right. because I was afraid I was going to have to change my son's diaper and then I might drop him or right. something weird, might, something crazy might happen. I was so scared. And then when I filled out that little questionnaire mm -hmm. that they give you before you leave the hospital, yes, <laughs> I lied on it. I lied because yeah. mm -hmm. it said, oh, are you having thoughts of harming your baby? Nope. I mean, yeah. I was, but they, they were intrusive thoughts. They were mm -hmm. popping into my head because I was so hypersensitive about something happening to him yeah. and so afraid something would happen to him that I was having those thoughts. It was so strange. Yeah. But I think I that's lied. very common that mm -hmm. uh, women lie on that um, quite yeah. a bit because I, I did too. And I was the same thing. I had a, a C-section as well, but I went into a coma um, for, from mine because of the oh medication. So, um, when I woke up, I was still groggy and then having, you know, like that massive depression. So, oh. I mean, th these are things that the, that women and husbands need to be aware of. And, um, I think what you're bringing to the table is such an important topic. Um, because I think all of us, um, who are in that, um, that, that state of, of, of our life, um, we have something that's similar to it or can relate to. Yes. Um, and so oh gosh, I'm sorry to hear one, that. Yeah, I know. And it was like, oh. wow, I, you know, and I'm an all natural person, you know, you know me. And right. I'm like, I don't want any medicine. I just want, you know, everything nope. to go fine. The worst that could ever happen that you think of as, as a woman giving birth, it happened to me, but yeah. I survived. You know what I mean? It's one of those mm -hmm. things where you have to kind of just push through. But um, mm -hmm. I wanted to ask you as well, because, because we're talking about this, and because it's such an important issue that uh, women uh, are listening to or, or husbands might be listening to, what advice would you give to help someone who is struggling through this right now on their personal journey and afraid or lying on their, you know, their, those forms or afraid to say anything to even their mother or their best friend? What advice would you give to someone to help help them through this or move to the next step? So I would advise them first to start opening up the conversation with somebody that they trust the most. And that could even be seeking out if they don't have anybody in their tight circle that they trust the most, because some people don't, some people right. are very private and sometimes in even different cultures. I've heard this throughout my journey and my training as well. Sometimes in different cultures, they have this, um, Oh, what, where, they can't be seen as weak whatsoever. Mm -hmm. So they can't even tell their families about this. They can't right. tell their circle of friends about this because they do not want to display any type of what they think is a weakness. It's not a weakness. It's a condition. Right. It's a medical condition. But to them, they think it's a weakness because they can't, they feel like they can't take care of their, their baby like they should. So they don't want to tell anybody. So my thought would be to, go ahead and reach out for help, whether that be postpartum support international, whether that be another postpartum agency close by um, and reach out to a counselor, some form mm -hmm. of counselor. Cause some, and sometimes there's support groups around various areas as well. 
so reach out for help because I will say they cannot continue living like this. Right. And the more we talk about it, the more we bring it out there. I know there's a lot of shame in it. There's a lot of guilt, but the more that we talk about it and the more that it comes to light, the less shame and guilt that there will be out in society. I mean, there's, there's still a lot with it, unfortunately, but that would be my piece of advice is reach out to somebody as soon as possible and get, get some help because you cannot continue living like this. It's just, it's horrifying. Um, it's, it's a time of your life where you want to enjoy your new child. You want to enjoy those, moments of the smiling and the laughing. And then, you know, the first time maybe they eat baby food or, you know, just even little things like that. You want to enjoy those things. And I feel like I did not enjoy those things. And so that's any, that's, that's advice I would give anybody is get help as soon as possible. Right. And even start to do it if they're getting, if they're going to have children, say Mm they're, they know they're, um, they're, they're trying to have children. They're in that process. They've been close with their OBGYN. Talk to the OBGYN about it. Talk to, okay. talk to the physician, you know, talk to their spouse about it. Um, the more that we know, the more, I always say knowledge is power. The more knowledge we have, the more that they can be on top of this and know that they're not alone and know that there's help out there if it does happen to them. So being proactive is a, is a good thing as well, but don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to seek help. Even if it, even if it has to be outside of your family and friends. And, 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 you know, and I agree with you. I think um, us speaking more open about this um, it's building that awareness. Uh, Mental health in general has always been taboo. Um, whether it was from even the slightest things of saying, you know, on that employment paper where they ask you, do you have any disabilities or anything like that? And a lot of people will say, I, I don't want to answer or, you know, anything like that. But it's it's made me having the awareness of um, mental health or, you know, autism with my own children or anxiety with myself or OCD or anything like that. It, the awareness of it and people talking about it has made me stronger to say, yes, I have a disability. Yes, I can still cope. I am mm-hmm. I am able to get through this, whether it's through medicine or counseling or natural techniques, whatever it is. It's, I think us speaking more about it allows people to know that it's okay not to be okay. Yes. Um, and it's normal. I, I really like what you're doing and I, I really enjoy that. Um, helping Thank other you. people as well. Um, so I wanted to to find out now, as we we understand that when we get to that section, and I under, um, you know, he, there's some them, some help and there's symptoms and so forth that to look out for. You're more into the resiliency of it. Um, am I correct? Yes, okay. yes you're okay. correct. I feel that. I would like to be more of a proactive force for individuals than a reactive force. I mean, now, granted, I am getting my graduate degree in counseling, so that will be completed in a couple of years. I should be done by May of 2024. And so obviously I know I'm going to be helping people through various situations, um, anxiety, depression, OCD, different things like that. But the resiliency piece is so important because people can get on top of this before it happens. 
And even folks with young kids, that's what I'd like to focus on as well, is that I know just through my kids aging, I remember seeing one of my therapists and she says, oh, you're, they're at a tough age. They're at a tough age. And this was when they were what, three, two and three. And then, you know, two years later, wow, they're at a tough age. Oh, they're still at a tough <laughs> age. Okay. A tough age. <laughs> <laughs> what, when are they not going to be at a tough age? So um, I feel like the resiliency component can help parents with that as well. Because what it's doing is it's focusing on six domains and those domains by figuring out, oh, maybe I need more work in these three domains. So let's work with that and figure out where I need to go. Like one of mine is composure. I'll list the six domains here in a minute, but one of mine is composure. I tend to lose my composure in a lot of different situations. I have a very um, uh, low low frustration tolerance. Let's put it that way. <laughs> so when I go out and I'm mingling and I'm seeing things and I'm like, oh man, you know, or you're in the car and you get so worked up about someone cut you off. And yes. So that's one of my big ones to work on is composure. But what's cool about this resiliency program is that it can actually cause, you know, this neuroplasticity in the brain, which you're thinking, okay, neuroplasticity, that's, that's a big word. Like, what does that mean? you're really kind of refiring these cells, which is really cool because when you start to use different resiliency techniques, you're allowing your brain to kind of rebuild networks, rebuild um, areas of thinking and areas of reasoning and such. And it's, it's a really cool, um, it's a really cool aspect. I, I learned about this last year. I found out about this resiliency program through a colleague. It's a certification. And I said, man, that would be, phenomenal in the perinatal postpartum mental health space for all yeah. these women. And then I also kind of backtrack a little bit um, with my graduate thesis when I got my graduate degree in communication and I did that thesis, I actually did a questionnaire as part of my study. So it was a quantitative, so it's you know a lot of numbers and things. I was a little afraid of it at first, but my thesis advisor walked me through it and helped me through all the data and all that. But what I found was that a lot of people, and these were about 155 um, women surveyed, that not many of them, a very, very low amount, were given perinatal, uh, perinatal education or, uh, you know, written, written, written literature or even verbal um, advice in the prenatal phase. So at that first prenatal appointment, there were very few. I mean, it was around, I'd say six or so, six to 10, maybe out of that 155 um, number. I mean, it was very, very low. And some people were never given anything, even mm. at discharge, even when they wow. were um, done with, you know, giving, they were giving birth, they were in the hospital. And then when they left the hospital, they still weren't given anything. And so that's the part, that's the proactive piece. That's why mm. I feel like, gosh, if we were just, if they were all given that yeah, way before, I mean, the, I, and I knew when I did that survey, I asked those questions on purpose because mm -hmm. I had a feeling what the answers would be. I right. just had a feeling. I was hoping I was wrong, but I was right. And it was just a very minimal number of what was offered pre, you know, in the first, like in those um, first parts of the prenatal process, not even at the first mm -hmm. appointment, but like, but during 
the prenatal phase. Right. Um, right. They weren't given really anything. So I, I feel like with this resilience program and the coaching, coaching is different than counseling as well. I'll kind of throw that in there. Um, so with this resiliency coaching, I feel as if I can help folks get ahead of things. Right. So when challenges arise, they can cope and right. they can do it a little bit easier than maybe if they wouldn't have had these tools. Right. I completely agree. And I think um, that being able to provide that information right then and there during that situation is very valuable because a lot of times we can say we can always talk to women while they're pregnant or when they're thinking of getting pregnant to say, go read some books, whatever. But in the moment, you just, you're too busy or you just don't have time right now, or you have other things that you have to do. So when you're right in that moment, that is when you can connect the best. And mm -hmm. I th really think that providing that information during their checkout or while they're still there and you've captured their, you know, the, you know, their attention and when they're right in that moment, that is going to be the best resiliency um, because they're they're really focusing on it. They're wor really worried about it. That's what's going through their mind at the moment, um, and so that's really really important. Um, I like I said, I I wish they had some. And you're right, they didn't have when I was in as well. They didn't have any type of questionnaires or anything like that to ask you, you know, certain questions or to, to kind of relate to how you're feeling that it's okay, um, to feel this way. Uh, and sometimes even you go to the, the you know, the physician now, even just if you were to just get a, you know, uh, stitches or something, they just give mm -hmm. you a piece of paper and say, okay, this is what, you know, what we did today, we stitch it up and, and that's it. Uh, there's nothing else, you know, how, right. how to, how to, do that resiliency. So I like, and you were right with coaching is different than counseling because yes. I feel coaching and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel coaching. I feel I have more of a say and I am more participating with coaching than I am with counseling. Am I yes. correct? Or is it, you, you think it's somewhere around there? Yes. It's, that's partly true. I think sometimes and, and with counselors, sometimes even in counseling too, they can make the patient be more participatory per se. I remember um, I've, I've, I've interviewed an addictions counselor um, mm -hmm. throughout my course of my um, graduate program. Mm -hmm. And he's very hands-on. He says, oh, I give them assignments. I mean, Good. they are, they are held accountable. He says, I, I take this very seriously and I'm not for everybody. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. I'm pretty hardcore when it comes to that. And I will make sure they complete their assignments. Good. And so sometimes they do do that. But with coaching, it's more you are preventing maybe something happening again, say mm -hmm. someone that has a, you know, a mental health condition. It's maybe somebody who's recovered from a mental health condition. They're doing well. Say they've had generalized anxiety disorder or major depressive disorder, but now they are in remission, which means they're they're at a good state. They've overcome those um you know, those hardest times. And now they're, they're maintaining say on their medicine or with their therapy or with both, but then they want to add a little bit of coaching in as well. So then that way they don't fall back into say those States and they don't, gotcha. which would be a relapse, which would be called a relapse. So you don't want to go back into those States right. of, of being, you know, not being able to function very well. Coaching, you're still like, people are, are functioning 
pretty well with their, and, and like you said, you're right. They're taking on more responsibility of themselves and really working through different tasks to be able to say, oh yeah, Did let's, you know, okay. yeah, let's keep, let's keep moving forward. I'm going to um, practice this task. Maybe it's mindfulness, maybe it's something else. And then, so that allows them to stave off and right. keep them from going back into those phases. I think and, both together, maybe coaching and counseling, I think they work right. I've done both. I yeah. love both. Um, I don't, and I think group therapy is amazing. It probably was the, mm -hmm. the height, height of my, uh, recovery in anxiety and OCD, um, uh, was the group group counseling as well, mm -hmm. because you really feel that, um, you're not the only one. Um, and, um, to be able to have people in, in, like you had mentioned, going back to some, um, cultures that, um, uh, that don't want to, show weakness. Right. Um, there's a, you know, in, in and uh, when you come along across the, the group therapy, I think that allows you to keep your private life private and not mm -hmm. show that weakness to those who you might think might find you weaker and then find that friendship in a, um, a group therapy session, someone going through the same thing. So I, I really yes. love group therapy as well. Um, I know you, um, on your website, you have some of that stuff up there as well. Uh, I just, mm -hmm. I love what you're doing and, oh, um, you're a big inspiration, uh, to me because, um, you know, I wish I had someone like you. I wish I was, you know, able to outreach to someone like you during the time that I was going through, um, that my struggles. So, um, you're. Thank keep you. at it. I, I really um, enjoy talking with you. I mean, we could have conversations for the longest time. I know <laughs> you yes. and I could just go on and on. Yes, um, exactly. But I, do, I do want people to know where they can reach out to you. So you have a website, email, anything like that? Yes, absolutely. So the name of my business is Lifting the Fog Health. So they can reach out on the website. It's basically just liftingthefoghealth.com. .com. Okay. Okay. And they can reach me through there. There's a link on there where they can reach out, put their name in, or they can simply just email me at Jody, J-O-D-I, at liftingthefoghealth.com. So just all one, all one line. Um, all right. Where they can, and I can do, yeah, I can coach in groups. I can coach, um, you know, single in, individuals, the way, the way that I would, um, that I usually do it is that there's a, an exam that starts people off. It's called the PR six. Mm -hmm. And basically that goes through and evaluates those six domains of resilience. Um, and it's talking about composure, um, tenacity, reasoning, health, um, vision, and then collaboration. So it would measure what levels folks are at. And then it just depends on the situation. If I'm coaching a group, they can actually do a PR6 together. So they can see as a group how they would be functioning as a group. Um, so it could be, say, a group of nurses that are taking care of perinatal women, perinatal patients, you know, could be nurses in an OBGYN clinic that are all, you know, they're all caring for the same type of patient. And then they could say, oh, let's just complete an exam together. And then they can work as a group and work on the same domain. 
basically same different domains. Um, So that's kind of, that's how it would work for a group. But Mm -hmm. I agree kind of backtracking a little bit with the group therapy. I, I agree with you in that because that has helped me along my journey as well. And I think that, that, I think that's why this resilience thing is so neat too, because part of it is collaboration. That's one of the domains. And I think collaboration is such a big deal when it comes to perinatal mental health specifically, because if you are connected and you collaborate with just a lot of different people and you have a lot of folks on board, supporting, Mm -hmm. talking, engaging, that just, that uplifts, you know, that uplifts a person. Like you said, telling, Mm -hmm. telling your story about anxiety and autism that's that I'm similar in that regard. You know, mm-hmm. the more I tell my story, the more I get it out there, the more I feel empowered. It, it makes me feel um, better, you know, more content about it. Exactly. Exactly. And so I, yeah, I think that that's a huge part of what resilience can play. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to give a little shout out here, if you don't mind. Because Not at all. I think there is a book out there and I'm going to be totally transparent. I still haven't read the entire thing, mm-hmm. <laughs> but I've read a, I've read a lot of, of pieces of it in parts, and it's called The Mommy Myth. The Mommy Myth. The Mommy Myth. Okay. And I'm going to give a shout out to Dr. Lakeisha Anderson. She was my thesis advisor. Okay. So I use this book for part of my thesis, and I feel like this book is um, I, I feel like it just tells the story of, like you said, we're all supposed to be happy. We're all supposed to be elated. We're all supposed to feel, it, it talks about how the media puts a lot of tones. Like you see a lot of these baby commercials and just, oh, it's so beautiful. It's so fun mm-hmm. and all this. And <laughs> there's just, and then you hear just about other moms and people talking about, like, especially with social media too, like, oh, this is so great. And I'm yes. doing so well. But it's, but the mommy myth, it's, it's a cool book because it just puts it into perspective and says, no, like it's, it's not, it's a mm-hmm. hard time. You literally just brought a human being into the world. Right. It's not what these images um, portray. Right. And so it's um, the elongated title is the ideal idealization of motherhood and how it has undermined all women. And it's by Susan Douglas and Meredith Michaels. So if anyone, if someone looks up the mommy myth and just puts it in the search bar and says the mommy myth book, I get a pop up. And I, I feel like it was a, it was an interesting read to have when I was putting my big paper together Mm-hmm. And I just think a lot of women could use this and find it beneficial. So I wanted to throw that in there. But I love it. I I I should have read that. I think we all <laughs> you know, Yeah, we we really should have. It's just, and you're right, they put up these images to make you feel like, you know, gosh, I should be feeling like that, but I don't. I, there's gotta be something wrong with me. You mm-hmm. know, so yeah, definitely. I, I think I don't think social media and the media in general helps with that perspective. No. Um, you no. know, it, it, so it, it'd be nice to be able to show a, you know, a real, real mom who, you know, no makeup on, still in her bathrobe, just crying. Yeah. 
<laughs> yes. You know, just this is life. This is what it's about. And we're, you know, we all struggle and, and it's not, and it's real. That's, that's the realization of it. And we just have to work together. That's why our community, um, we have to work together to get through things. And I think your subject that what you are really working on is so important, especially now as well, after um, our lockdown in COVID, because mm -hmm. having nobody to talk to, Yes. Um, you know, as a mom going through that struggle or even just giving birth during COVID, um, you know, during yes. the lockdown areas, that was even worse than anything else. And um, I think we really need to outreach to each other as um, as women and support each other and even dads. I mean, I think we need to really get dads in um, to talk about it and to, you know, see the struggles that we go through and, and see if they, you know, and help them as well. Because I know my husband went through a very difficult time trying to figure out, you know, what was wrong with me? Why am I always crying? Why am I not happy? Mm -hmm. Why am I anxious? Um, you know, I, you know, it's just all those emotions and for them to understand it too is very, very important. Um, and yeah. in the, uh, in the, uh, the help that we, and that we need to get. Yes. Um, Jody, Absolutely. it has been a pleasure to speak with you so much information. Um, I will definitely make sure that we get your website out there so that people can uh, reach out to you, um, whether they just need somebody to talk to or need some resources or want to, um, you know, sign up to receive your services because it's definitely worth it. Um, and I know you have, um, a, uh, a workshop or a, uh, um, an expo or something coming up, uh, towards the end of the year. So I want to make sure I get that out as well later later on, um, sure. you know, when you have that up on your site, I, I really want to push that, 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 you know, it's, it's such a wonderful thing you're doing. Thank you. Oh, yeah. I appreciate it very much. I appreciate all the help and, and support and yeah, that'll be, we're having an expo on the 29th of October. So it's more of a, it, and it's a health and wellness kind of, um, all over health and wellness expo. So there'll be a lot of things represented there, which would be, um, yeah, which I think it'll be a lot of fun. So I, I can too. definitely give you more details on it and we'll get it up on the site. And I would love to would give love you the to. info. And then, um, yeah, that sounds great. No, I thank you so much for having me today. Yeah. Anytime we will, you know what, let's, let's touch base uh, again after the expo um, and to talk a little bit about what, you know, what we saw, everything we went through with the expo, um, some things that um, some other things, how you're doing and uh, how I'm doing, and we can kind of catch up on there. I would love to have you back again. Sure. Uh, that sounds great. Oh, I'd love to be back. Thank you. Yeah, yeah no problem. Excellent. All right. So uh, thank you, Jody, so much for joining us. And uh, we are out of time. So uh, be sure to check out our next episode. We're going to talk about gamification and how that can help with your uh, mental wellness. And we have some great uh, guests coming on for that, too. So thank you for joining us, everybody. Bye-bye. Cough it up, furballs. That's all the catnip we have for the day. If your coffee's cold now, that means we did our jobs and we were all the caffeine you needed. Now, get to work. This show has gone to the dogs. That's it. I'm out of this cartoon. Let me know how it goes.